Well, guys, again, so glad that you're here in worship with us today. Uh, and isn't it great to be celebrating with Believer's Baptism today? It is. It's exciting. We've got that this service. We have that next service. The Lord is continuing to move among us, and we're glad that we get to do this here together today. Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if we will. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Ephesians 3, verse 16 is where we're going to be. One of the many places that we're going to be is we continue our sermon series on living in the Spirit. And man, I'm so glad that you've been tracking with us and we've been walking through this sermon series. It has been uh, an adventure for me. I'm learning a whole lot and I hope you're learning with us as we're trying to figure out what does it mean to not simply know about the Spirit or to believe in the Holy Spirit, but to live in the Holy Spirit. His goal is that we will have a living, vibrant relationship with him. And I hope that as you've been interacting with these texts, as we've been going through this in the past few weeks, that you've really throughout the week been experiencing him. Uh, we learned in that first week that he is a person. He's not just an impersonal force, but he's someone you can know. This is the spirit of Christ living in us. Uh, week after that, we found out that we can be led by him. He's going to speak to us. It's possible to hear and be led by him in our daily lives. And so we can actually look for that leadership. Furthermore, we can be filled with the Spirit. In fact, this is what God wants for us, that we would not simply have him in our life, but that we would be filled with him. We found out it's possible to lose that filling, but that you can be continually refilled in the Spirit. Uh, Clay walked us through how we can live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. And then last week, we found out one of the results of that is that it produces the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit is not something we can produce on our own, but when we are living in the Spirit, we will begin to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We will see these produced in our life as we abide in Him. And I hope you're beginning to understand that this is not for a chosen few. This is not just for certain personality types. This is not just for, for people who've completed 20 or 30 years of being in Christ. This is available for all of us. And one of the reasons for that is what we're going to learn today is that there is power in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit has an incredible power and that power is available to us. And so we're going to look at a lot of different verses today. But let's start here in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Let me just show you this. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And so this is Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. Obviously, they are all one, uh, but he's the model for us. The Spirit descends on him at the beginning of his ministry. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness. He's with him all throughout the wilderness. And as he comes out of the wilderness, he comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, look at this, though. Here's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus dies, he is resurrected, and right before his ascension, here's what he says to the apostles. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this power was not for Jesus alone. 
He says, no, and just like I have this power in the Holy Spirit, because my spirit will be in you, you also will have the power of the Holy Spirit. He promises this to the apostles. And of course, we know what happens. Pentecost occurs, tongues of fire fall upon them, and they are all not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but also the power of the Holy Spirit. Look at this in Acts 4, verse 33. It says, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It doesn't simply say that they were testifying. It says that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. All right, so Jesus has this power in the Holy Spirit. He promises power in the Holy Spirit. And then you see this evidenced in the lives of the apostles. So where you see the presence of the Holy Spirit, you are also going to see the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is important for us because uh, there's a lot of different names for the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in week one. One of them is uh, a counselor. Uh, another is the, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside There's lots of different names for him, but a problem with that is is that if we're not careful, we'll take that one word, counselor. It's a word that Jesus uses, but if we just think about that word, we kind of reduce the Holy Spirit down to just, well, a counselor, kind of like a spiritual chat buddy, someone you can talk to, someone who will lead you and guide you and speak to you, but, but he's just there mainly to give advice or to point you in the right direction. He will counsel us, but, but that is all. And he is certainly a counselor, but he's not just a counselor. He is the Holy Spirit of God himself, the Holy Spirit of Christ. This is the powerful Holy Spirit who lives in us. And he says, no, I bring power when I come to live inside you. But some of us might read these verses and say, yeah, Adam, that's great and all, but isn't that just for the apostles? I mean, yes, I agree. The Spirit is in Jesus and he's he's in the apostles. They all had the tongues of fire, but, but isn't that just for them? We've already seen how some of these things in Acts, they happen in Acts, but we don't see them everywhere else. And so maybe that kind of power was just for the apostles, but it's not really for us. All right, well, let's look at a few other pieces of Scripture. Here's Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This is Paul at the end of Romans. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So he says, listen, I want this power of the Holy Spirit to be in you, not just in Paul or the apostles, but in all the believers. And then if you find yourself there in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, if you turn there, you can read there. I'll put this up on the screen too, but look what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in his spirit in your inner being. So this is Paul praying for the, for the believers in Ephesus saying this is not just for a few of you or for some of you or just for the apostles. He goes, no, I am praying that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Which means that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered your life to him, then the Holy Spirit lives in you and this Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is powerful in you. And it's absolutely possible for us to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But if that's the case, then how come we don't see that very often? 
You may say, Adam, that sounds really great, but I just don't see that in my experience a whole lot. And so, and so what do we do with that? Adam, I, don't, I mean, I see miracles. I'm not seeing these amazing moves of the Spirit. I don't know if I can say I see the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so what do we do with that? And we typically do one of two things with that. When we're trying to make sense of our experience and what Scripture tells us, we say, Scripture says there's power, but I'm not seeing power, we, we come up with two answers. The first is this, well, well the problem's obviously with me, right? Uh, apparently, I'm just broken, right? If I, were, if I would just get my act together, then I would see the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why other people sometimes see this, but I don't. Clearly, the problem is on my end. It's not on God's end. And so sooner or later, I'll get my act together and I'll fix some things and and then I'll see this power of the Holy Spirit. But up until then, the problem's just with me. And we just kind of get down on ourselves. Or maybe you go to the other side and you say, Adam, listen, I just think all of that is true. It's just not true for now. That's true for the resurrection. That's true when Jesus comes back. Yes, we will see that power. He is powerful, but that's for later on in my life. But I just really shouldn't expect to see that now. No one should expect to see that now. And if I keep my expectations low, I'm just not disappointed as much. I just won't expect a whole lot. And then if God does something that's bonus, that's great. But I I just don't expect to see a lot of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so we don't even try. We don't look for him. We don't pray for it. We don't expect anything. And we continue to see nothing. And if that's where we go, just kind of assuming that we're broken or assuming that it doesn't happen, we're kind of missing the point. The Holy Spirit says, I am in you. I am here to move. I am here in you. Jesus Christ is still doing his work in and through us. And he says, yes, I am still moving. Yes, there is still power in me. If you and I will simply live in the Spirit. But it's very important for us to understand what kind of power we're talking about. When it comes to this this power in the Holy Spirit, it's very important that we understand that this is a very particular kind of power that he wants to unleash in our lives. And for that, we just need to talk about power, period, for a second. And I don't mean just spiritual power, I mean just generic power. Because everyone is interested in power, are we not? All humans, sooner or later, are interested in power, In fact, have you ever had a power fantasy before? You ever had one of those? You have, you just didn't call it that. You ever had that dream or the idea of what what it would be like if you were in charge? Or all of a sudden, you were the boss. You were the parent. You got to make all the rules. You got to tell everybody what was up. You got to be the one who was finally in power. You got to be the one to set everything right. I imagine all of us have had those ideas like, man, I wish I was in charge. Man, I wish I had done this. I wish I could do what I wanted because then you could finally get even with that boss, that coworker, that neighbor, that enemy, that friend, that parent, that spouse, that, that family member, whoever it might be, you'd finally be in control. In fact, take that word. How many of us would describe ourselves as control freaks? 
Okay, guess what? The reason we want control is because we're interested in power. This is also why we all love superhero movies. You ever wonder why Marvel has just kind of captivated the world over the past 10, 15 years? And it didn't start then. We've always been kind of captivated by superheroes. Before them, it was DC, it was was Superman and all that. But all throughout history, everyone loves superheroes. I mean, my goodness, go back to the Roman pantheon. When you see Zeus and all those guys, you're basically looking at the first Avengers movie, are you not? It's just a bunch of superhuman people fighting with one another. We've all had this idea of what if we could be extraordinarily powerful. We had extraordinary powers that we could use to protect ourselves and to protect those we love. This is all about power. The people in Jesus' day knew all about this. They were living in the midst of the Roman Empire. We need to understand that Rome was not just an early version of America. Their ideas about government, about people, about life were very different than ours. In Roman times, they had the idea that if you could conquer somebody, you should. If there was any reason you could conquer somebody, you might as well go ahead and do that. Why would you not? It did not matter if they posed a threat to you or not. It did not matter whether they had threatened you or not or attacked you or not. If you had the power to conquer a neighbor, you should go ahead and do that, which they did. That's how they became an empire. It's because they didn't care about people. What they cared about was power. What they cared about was control. This dominated their whole culture. This is why they would kind of conquer people and then kind of bring them in and say, look, I have overpowered all of these people. See all my captives? It was a power play. Everybody is interested in power. Humans have always been interested in power. The problem is, even today, we might be too interested in power, and we'll bring that even into the church. We say we love Jesus, but what we really need is power. If we just had power, power of money, power of the state, power of politics, power of influence, power of size, whatever it might be, if we just had power, Power, then we could make things exactly how we want them to be, assuming that that would actually work. But it doesn't. And that's not something that just you and I wrestle with. That's always been a problem in the church. Let me show you an interesting incident from Acts chapter 8. Uh, as people are coming to faith in Christ, lots of people are being saved. And, and in one town, there was a guy who gets saved. His name is Simon Magus. That's not his given name. Uh, He's a magician. That's where that magus comes from. It's Simon the magician. And he had spent his time doing magic and wowing all the people with his magical abilities. Well, he comes to faith in Christ and he renounces all of his magic. But then the apostles come to town. And when they do, they lay hands on people and the Holy Spirit falls on them. Look at what happens. It says, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon, that's Simon Magus, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. All right, here, this is interesting. Here you got a guy who's got a very good reason, right? He says, I want people to have the Holy Spirit. I want more people to come to faith in Christ. And so give me this power. Give me this power that whomever I lay my hands on, they too will receive the Holy Spirit. And he offers one kind of power to get another. He says, let me give you some money so I can have that power. 
Say, I've got this monetary power. Can I use this power to get that power? Because I want to be able to do this. And Peter just comes right back at him and says, how dare you think that you can get the gift of God simply by money? Furthermore, you're thinking of this just like magic. Simon, this is what you did before. You thought you could just control the power of God with your, your spells, your incantations, and you think that now you can just control the Holy Spirit to give it as you wish. You do not understand the power of God or the Holy Spirit, even though Simon, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, had a very good reason for doing this. He wanted people to be saved. He wanted people to have the Holy Spirit. He was going about it the totally wrong way because he wanted to use the power of the world to do it. He thought he could control this on his own, but he couldn't. And this is just a constant pressure that we're all going to have to face. Because the power of God is not like the power of this world. The power of God is not like the power of this world. What if it was, though? Can you imagine that? What if God's power was just like the power of this world? Can you imagine how things would be different if God's power was like the power of the world? Think how Acts 2 might have gone down differently if God's power was like the power of the world. So you got all the apostles there in the upper room and they're praying together. The Holy Spirit begins to move. Tongues of fire fall upon them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And at nine in the morning, they all rush out to do all the things that they can in the power of the Spirit. And instantly, they all become the Avengers. One of them runs immediately down to the homeless shelter and begins to break bread and provide food for everybody who is there. Another one's going to run down to the riverfront and he's going to begin to preach the gospel and amass as a crowd, but he's going to walk on water the entire time that he's preaching the gospel to people. Another runs right down to the hospital and begins to heal everybody there, just running down the halls, healed, 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 healed. Another goes down to the funeral home and as people are coming in, he begins to raise people from the dead as they come in for their funerals. Why couldn't God have done that? God did every one of those miracles. Jesus has the power to do every one of those miracles. He performed those miracles. His power is now in the apostles. So why would he not go and do all of those things? Because God's power is not like the power of this world. When the Holy Spirit fills us with power, it is not like the power of this world. And when you see that, you begin to see it everywhere. There's this conundrum where you have super powerful people who also are weak all at the same time. I mean, think about the apostles like Peter, James, and John. Peter and James are arrested on multiple occasions. They're arrested, and at one time, an angel will come and release them from prison. They go back out, and they preach the gospel some more. They will get arrested again. One of those times, though, they get arrested and James will be executed. James, Peter's brother, will be executed. Peter gets arrested shortly thereafter. But when he gets arrested, an angel shows up in the middle of the night and releases him. Okay, question. If an angel released him before, why didn't he release him again? Furthermore, if he could release Peter, how come he didn't do that for James two days earlier? Furthermore, who needs an angel? How come Peter can't do it himself? Peter's going to raise the dead. 
Peter's going to heal people in the power of Jesus. How come he can't just free himself from that? You see this balance between this incredible power but also this weakness. What about Stephen? Scripture tells us that Stephen, one of the first deacons, he does signs and wonders among the people. But when he is arrested and drugged before the Sanhedrin, they will stone him to death. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of heaven, but Stephen doesn't do a sign and a wonder in front of them to prove how powerful he is. Furthermore, Jesus doesn't send an angel to save Stephen. He will become the first martyr, one of the first martyrs of the church. Incredible power, but also this weakness. What about Paul? Paul does miracles. Paul can raise the dead. Paul sees healing of people. And yet Paul will spend years in prison. No angel for him. Years of spending time languishing in a prison cell. And sometimes he gets out and ultimately he won't. He gets executed in his jail cell. How come he has power in one time but not in another? Because the power of the Holy Spirit is different from the power of this world. And to fully prove the point, all you really need to do is look at Jesus. Let's consider Jesus for just a moment. Jesus Christ is the most powerful being to ever have legs and walk this planet. He literally spoke the universe into existence. He understands everything. He can command legions of angels at a word. He can snap his fingers and change anything. He can bend natural laws to his will. No one in the history of mankind has ever been more powerful than Jesus Christ. He has more power than we can possibly fathom coursing through his veins. He is the most eminently powerful person ever, and yet he suffers. He's lied about, gossiped about, mistreated. He gets stabbed in the back by one of his best friends. He gets abandoned by other friends. He'll be mocked, spit upon, beaten, tortured, and executed. Man, when we have our power fantasies, those are the very things we're trying to prevent, right? Why do we want power? So no one can do those things to us. So no one can wound us to keep us safe, to keep our loved one safe. Here is Jesus with all the power in the universe, and yet the same things are happening to him. Why would someone with limitless power allow all these things to happen to him? Because at the end of the day, it's not all about power. There's something more going on here. Listen, if all Jesus wanted to do was to use power to make us love him, power to make us know him, he could just speak a word and every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But if he, all he was gonna do was overpower us, then why give us free will at all? He could have skipped the cross. He could have skipped creation. He could have skipped all the pain and all the sin and all the rebellion. He could have just made us and said, you'll do exactly how I say because I have power over you. But he didn't simply want us to obey him. He wants us to know him and to love him. And love cannot be forced through power. A relationship cannot be forced through power. 
Jesus has the power to force us, but he won't. Why? Because the goal is not simply for us to fear him. It's for us to love him and to know him. It's why he made us. So that we can have a relationship with him. So we can know him. So we can love him. And that requires for us to give our lives voluntarily to him. Not simply to cringe in fear before him. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Jesus has this power. He doesn't simply come asking. There is coming a day where by God's power, he will make all things right. There is coming a day when Jesus says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to wipe away all sin and all pain and all disease and all death, all evil he's going to throw into the lake of fire. All enemies he will throw into the lake of fire. He's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's coming a day when there's going to be no more need for hospitals, no more doctors, no more nurses because there will be no more disease. There's coming a day when there's going to be no more police. There will be no more prisons. There will be no more judges or lawyers. Why? There will be no need. We will live in a completely just society. There will be no need for psych wards or rehab clinics or marriage counselors. Why? Because Jesus is going to wipe away all sin and pain. We will be perfect, complete in him. We will live in a full society of joy and peace and sinlessness. And Jesus will bring it about by his power. The day is coming, but not until the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth, until the message of God's love and sacrifice have gone to everybody. Before you ever get to the exercise of God's power, you get the full display of God's love. Where he says, I don't want anybody to perish, but for all to come to a knowledge of salvation in me. There's power in God, but there's love before there's power. You see, his power is different from ours. And if you and I begin to understand that, that this is the heart of God, that he is sharing his love with us, even that he might come in weakness, even though he is powerful, now we begin to see what life in the spirit can be like. You can see it in the life of Paul. Look at this next passage. Here's Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. And listen to this weird dichotomy you see in him. He says, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, that's kind of weird because Paul loves persuasive words. He's using them right now in this letter. He would often go and use wise and persuasive words to debate with the Jews, to debate with the Pharisees, to debate with the Gentiles. Persuasive words aren't bad, but he says, listen, but if all you're doing is listening to my wise and persuasive words, this won't help you. I don't know a friend who used to say this, anything I can talk you into, somebody else can talk you out of. Hey, listen, this, it can't just be about wise persuasion. He says, no, I'm going to show you the Spirit's power. Put that back up if you could for just one more second. He says, I want you to understand the power of God. I came to you with the power of God, a demonstration of the power of God. But how did he come? In weakness 
and in fear and in much trembling. Man, if I could do miracles, I don't know about you, but I think I'd probably have a little bit of swagger, wouldn't you? You ever pulled off raising the dead? You'd probably feel pretty good about that, right? I may not be perfect, but that was pretty awesome, right? Paul has reason to have some swagger. Paul has reason to say, listen, I've watched the power of God move through me, but here's what Paul's know. It's not his power to control. It's not his power to throw around. It's not his power to own in himself. He is weak in fear and in trembling, but he's not just that. He has the power of God coursing through him because the Holy Spirit of God lives in him. And so you see that same balance as we saw in Jesus, this weakness, but also incredible power. And it's not just for them, but this is how we can live as well. Look at this in Ephesians chapter 3, same place if you're still there uh, in, your, in your scripture. We read verse 16, but let me read a few more verses here. Here's Ephesians 3 starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family and on heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's stop right there. Did you see that? Why is God giving you this incredible power? Why does God want you to have this power in the Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith so you can know him? So you can know him. So you can have a relationship with him. It's not so you can be a superhero. It's not so you can just wow people. It's so that you and I can have a relationship with God. But he goes further. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Is that sounding familiar to you? That we will be filled with the very Holy Spirit. The fullness of God is being filled with his love that we would be so wrapped up in our love relationship with the Lord through his spirit that it would transform us. This display of God's power, this power in our inner being is not to make us cartoon superheroes, is that you and I might have a rich and real relationship with him. If you do not understand the love of God, you will never understand the power of God. If all we're looking for is the power of God, we have missed the boat completely. We've missed the point completely. The kind of power that this world has will not work, but the love of God can. And through the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, you and I can have a relationship with him that transforms everything. He doesn't simply want us to fear him. He wants us to love him. And when you and I understand the love of God, that's when we understand the power of God. You don't start there, you miss it all. But we can't stop just there. 
Because some of you at this point say, Adam, you're exactly right. And that's really what I want to focus on. Man, all that miracle stuff, man, that might be great and all, but I don't really need that. All I need is, is the love of God, and I know he loves me, so I think I've got it all, so I'm good. Please understand, if you don't understand the love of God, you won't understand the power of God. But it's not all love and no power. It's all love with power through the Holy Spirit. Please understand that Jesus is still doing his work. Did you know that? He didn't finish everything 2,000 years ago. He says, oh, I got a lot of work to do. I'm just going to do it now through you. I'm going to send my spirit inside of you. You'll do even greater things than what I've been doing. Why? Because I will be living in you. I'm going to work through you. And the power of the Holy Spirit truly lives in us that you and I can walk and live in him. He is inviting for us not simply to live in knowledge, not simply to know him, but to know him and his power that comes through the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, we've learned to know him, but we haven't experienced, we don't live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, you say, yeah, but Adam, I've never seen a miracle. Or maybe if I have, eh, I've heard of a couple, but I'm kind of skeptical and I don't know if that actually really happens today anymore. We got some denominations that just outright say that, just God doesn't do any miracles anymore. They'll enshrine it in their theology. God's just not going to do that kind of thing. That kind of thing just can't occur anymore. God himself lives inside of us by the Holy Spirit. He talks about his power, but he's just not going to do that kind of thing anymore. But Adam, if he does, then how come I'm not seeing it? What if it's just a different kind of power than what you're expecting? Let me very quickly give you four ways that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you right now. Four ways that the power of the Holy Spirit can move in you, even right now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. These are ways that the Lord wants to bring his power to us. The first is this, the supernatural power of God brings us real hope. The power of God through the Holy Spirit brings us real hope. Look at this in Romans 15, 13. We looked at this earlier. Let's read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We looked at this Easter just a few weeks ago. We talked about the fact that for, for us, for humans, when we hope, what we really are saying is, is that I wish. We're just wishing. Man, I hope this occurs. I hope everything works out. I hope everything turns out the way I want, but we don't have any power to make sure it happens. So we just wish. And I wish. I wish it would go this way. I wish it would go that way, but we're all riddled with anxiety because we don't have the power to assure it. We don't have the power to guarantee it. Here's what God says. When it comes to me, I have the power to guarantee it. Regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of the circumstances that happen in your life, I have given you a hope that cannot be taken away from you. It does not matter what circumstance befalls you. You see, we live in anxiety that a, that a, that a cancer, a disease, an accident, a, a circumstance, the economy, something in our culture is going to steal away our life, it's going to change us, it's going to break us, it's going to wound us, and we live in anxiety. But what Jesus says is like, listen, no, in all these things, you can be more than a conqueror. Why? Because through my cross, my death and resurrection, I have conquered sin, death, and hell. No one forces me out of you. No one takes me away from you. 
No one can scare me away from you. You can't even scare me away from you. He says, I have got you in my hand and nobody can snatch you out of my hand. I got a grip on you and I will hold it until eternity. You and I have a secure hope in Jesus Christ. In this world, we will have trouble, but take heart. He has overcome the world. He says, listen, in all of these things, you have a hope that cannot be taken away from you. When I live in that power, even though I am not having power to control the world, I know the God who does, and I know where this is ending. I have a secure hope in him, and that helps me battle the anxieties of this world. Are you letting anxiety rule you or by the power of the Holy Spirit is he beginning to set you free from these things? You see, I get joy and peace in believing because I got hope. Holy Spirit gives you a secure hope. Secondly, the Holy Spirit gives you power to fight the flesh. He gives you power to fight the flesh. This is Romans 8, 13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look, we are all dealing with temptation, are we not? I am. You are. Because we're all encased in flesh. You and I have a flesh that has desires, and those desires are against the spirit. There's that constant war in us. And even though our our temptations might be different, we are all wrestling with our flesh. You might say, Adam, I'm trying to fight my flesh. I'm trying to fight these temptations. But when you and I fight in our own power, we will inevitably fail. You say, Adam, I'm doing my best. I'm really trying hard and I believe you. But by our own power, we will never accomplish this. But that's not what the verse says. It says, don't try this by yourself. If by the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body. Here's the great news of the gospel. You don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to fight the flesh on your own. The Holy Spirit will empower you. He will help you, aid you, guide you. As you and I fight the flesh, as we fight these temptations, he says, listen, I will give you supernatural power through my Holy Spirit to help you in your war with the flesh. And when you fail, go back to the hope. No one's gonna scare me away from you. I have already forgiven you. I'm here. But you also don't have to just give in and say, I'll never overcome this because the Holy Spirit has power to help us as we fight the flesh. Are you fighting in your own power? Are you fighting in the power of the Holy Spirit? We may be given it a good old college try, but why do that when it'll fail? You have the power of the Holy Spirit at your disposal. Here's the third thing. We have power through the Spirit to supernaturally change us. Power through the Spirit to supernaturally change us. Here's Romans 8, 11. Listen to this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That's just amazing. Listen, I can't stop smiling. I've been doing that. I I can't. I can't. That is a mic drop verse. If all I did was come up and read that, I could drop the mic, walk out. That's a great sermon. Look at that. Do you hear what that just said? If the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's unbelievable. That literally, the Holy Spirit has the power to raise Jesus from the dead. And he's not somebody way over there that we just love and honor. No, that same spirit is dwelling in us. Then why would we be overcome by anything? 
Do you realize that if that is true, then the Holy Spirit can transform us to become like him? From strength to strength, from grace to grace, from glory to everlasting glory, we can be transformed. We can be changed because the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is living and working in you, believer. That is amazing. Let the joy of that wash over you and not give in to despair that you and I just can't overcome our weaknesses, our flaws, our our problems if the Holy Spirit of God is living in us. And then finally, we have supernatural power to share the gospel. We have supernatural power to share the gospel. Look at this in Acts 4, 33. We looked at this earlier too. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. It doesn't say, and with great power, they were awing everybody with a bunch of miracles. It says, no, with great power, they were sharing the gospel. With great power, they told of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You and I are never more powerful than when we're sharing the gospel. Did you know that? You and I are never more powerful than when we're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me show you another one. Uh, this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4 and 5. It says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You see, when the gospel goes forth and we share about the life and love of Jesus Christ, we're not just using wise and persuasive words The Holy Spirit is moving, convicting, helping, even though it may take a while. Listen, the Holy Spirit is moving. Do you recognize that if we're sharing the gospel, not just here in this room, but if you're sharing the gospel in your life, we ought to be seeing salvation. We ought to be seeing conviction. We ought to be seeing transformation through the Holy Spirit. When you and I are sharing, listen, it's not up to you and I coming up with great words. Our words will always fall to the floor. My bare words always will fall to the floor. They can't help you. But when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, by his power, does something that you and I could never do. He brings people to salvation. And this ought to be a place that whereas you and I talk about the gospel in this room, we share the gospel with our lives that we would see more people come to faith in him. Amen. It's possible because it doesn't rely on us, but on the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Are you and I living in the power of the Holy Spirit? Just think on that for a second. Are you and I living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan has a great book on the Holy Spirit called Forgotten God. Uh, It's a good one. He's got this line in the middle of the book I really liked. He said this. It's a very honest book. He's just talking about his own wrestlings. But he says this. He goes, I don't want my life to be explainable apart from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? I don't want my life to be explainable apart from the Holy Spirit. I like that. I think I want to jump on board with that. That doesn't mean we all become superheroes. It doesn't mean we run out of here and do all kinds of crazy things. But what happens when you and I walk with Jesus in such a way that he produces spiritual fruit in us in such a way 
And we love one another sacrificially in such a way that when people see us, they say, I don't know what's going on with y'all, but that doesn't make sense unless the God you're talking about is real. What y'all do does not make sense unless Jesus died and rose again. And I would like to know more about him. What would it look like for us to so live in the Holy Spirit that our lives individually, our life as a church was changed, that people would say, I cannot explain Double Oak Community Church apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. I wanna see that, don't you? Then let's live in the Holy Spirit. Let's walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop chasing the power of the world and let's start living in the power of the Holy Spirit and see what he will do. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. What's your power fantasy? What's yours? I mean, look, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. But that's going to tell you a lot about where our hearts are. What we think we need to fix everything. What we think is really the solution to everything. What's your power fantasy? Man, if I could just do this. If I could just be able to do that. If, if, if this would just happen. If, if I could have this kind of money, influence, power, Whatever. And can we just recognize that there is no power in this world that can save us apart from Jesus Christ? There is no power in this world that can change us and heal us and forgive us and save us, save the one who came and gave his life for us. That he with infinite power comes and says, I'll come riding on a donkey, gentle and lowly, to save you. Infinite power that sacrifices himself for us and then he gives himself to us through the Holy Spirit. Man, what's it look like to live in his power? If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, here's a chance. Stop just thinking about him or watching him or spectating could you just surrender your life to him and say, I get it, and I need you. You love me and I give my life to you. Surrender your life to him even right now. And for all of us who are believers, maybe we know that, but we just got seduced away by some other form of power. Could today be the day we simply say, I don't want my life to be explainable apart from the Holy Spirit. And so Lord, thank you. <laughs> I thank you that you're still moving. You're not waiting until the end, but that right now in this room, in this place, in these very people, in me, Lord, you're still moving and working. And Lord, we need you to work. Not just in the ways we want, but in the ways we need. To heal us, Father, from things we can't heal ourselves of. To help us in ways we can't help ourselves Father, to lead and guide us because we don't have the wisdom to get to the right places on our own. And so, Father, would you fill us 
with your power. Yours, not the power of this world. And Father, may we, may we rest in you. Father, I, I pray just for this entire congregation that we would be your people and wherever you want to take us to go, whatever you want to do, we would be open to following you and that you would display your power through us. Lord, we'll give you all the glory. We're so thankful. So bless us, Lord. Help us. But thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that lives in us. In your name we pray, amen.